Let's ask God to speak to us this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the living God and that you are in control of the universe and yet we can call you Abba, Father, our Father in heaven. We bless and worship you this morning and ask that as we open your living word that your spirit will open to us the truth in its pages, the truth that Jesus spoke and lived. And we pray that we will learn but we will also apply it to our lives for your glory and name's sake, we pray. Amen. Like father, like son. Well, it's Father's Day, as you know, and uh, I remembered um, my dad. Uh, I thought about this as I was preparing. My dad and I weren't all that very close, really, but uh, I still ended up pretty much like him as you'll see in the photo, uh, that it actually happened at his funeral um, back in 1996. Um, it was up in Brisbane. And uh, I, a lot of his relatives, his own family were there and hadn't seen him for many years. And I was down the front seat with family. And uh, during the service, I had to stand up and turn around and, and, and speak. And when I did, people on the back row said, and uh, we heard afterwards that uh, they thought it was my father because I was so much like him as they remembered him when they had last seen him. We all know what it's like to have a father and a son who there's always some sort of uh, likeness there and not just physically in other ways as well. Well, in John chapter 8 here, we read about Jesus who emphasizes his relationship with his father. Uh, he is the true representation of God the Father. He is like his father in every way, perfectly. <clears throat> Verse 19, uh, they said, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. In Hebrews 1, I love the verses there in verses 2 and 3 where it says, In the last days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. He is, that is the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is the outward manifestation of the living, invisible God. He is God the Son. In this chapter, we have three um, fathers that are mentioned. First of all, there's the heavenly father. Uh, Jesus, the son of God, speaks of his father. Then you have the ancestral father of the Jewish people. And that is the um, Abraham, who is, they said, he is our father. Abraham is our father. And we'll look at that a little later. And then uh, Jesus says, but no, you are like your real father, the true father that you follow, that you are like, is the devil. You're, you are like your father, the devil, like father, like son. The devil was a murderer and a liar, Jesus said. Uh, and uh, these were both displayed in these men who were looking at him the way they did and speaking to him the way they did. He said, if your father is Abraham, uh, then why are you not like him? Why isn't there a like father, like son? And you're trying to kill me. 
Um, he says in verse 38, you do what you have heard from your father. You are doing the works of your fa- that your father did in verse 41. And then in verse 43, uh, you are uh, of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And then in verse 47, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Their hearts were embedded in lies, and so they couldn't receive Jesus' words. They couldn't believe in him. And it's the same today for many people around the world, many people in our community who are blind and unwilling to really honestly look at the truth of Jesus, embedded in lies, and they believe what they believe and put the blinkers on and don't see Jesus for who he really is. Well, as we look at this chapter, there's three things that I'd like to talk about and, 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 and dig into as we look at the uh, life of, and ministry of Jesus. Uh, three things about Jesus in these verses. First of all, we see that he is the light. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is a clear statement of deity. The rabbis used to say the name of Messiah is light. Light was always associated with God in the scriptures. Remember in the tabernacle, as they went through the wilderness and later in the temple, the Shekinah glory of God, the light of God was there in the Holy of Holies and above the mercy seat. And it was his presence, God's presence with his people. And it's interesting that in John chapter 1, John uh, quotes Jesus as saying, talks about uh, Jesus being the word become fleshed and tabernacled among us. Uses that word tabernacle. That just as God in, in, in the Old Testament was tabernacling inside the tabernacle, the glory, Shekinah glory of God, Uh, was there, now he is tabernacled or living, uh, dwelling among us, God the Son. So it's a clear statement of God's glory in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. He said, uh, I am the light. He used that that, uh, I am again that we talked about back in chapter 6, that he is taking the name of God and saying, I am the light of the world. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, we read that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, speaking of his moral character as well. And then in chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, we read the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Uh, The true light, God, was coming into the world and he's the light that gives light to every human being. So the life that we receive from Adam, from God, 
uh, carries with it light, understanding and knowledge. Now, that he is the true light, the source of that light. And it says he was in the world, yet the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. But those who did received him and became children of God. Then it's also a, a clear statement that, that Jesus is the light. It's a clear statement of the true state of humanity. Humanity is in darkness, in need of the light. In Colossians 1, it tells us there that we've been rescued, talking to Christians, we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness, the, the kingdom of darkness, and translated into the kingdom of God's own Son. And uh, that Ephesians 4, we are darkened or were darkened in our understanding because of the ignorance due to the hardness of heart. And so there's this concept in the Bible of darkness and light that, that God is light and he brings light into the darkness through Jesus Christ and reveals God to the human race. And thirdly, a clear statement of his loving intention. He says, uh, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life. So that the, the life that Jesus promises to give and does give carries with it light. The Holy Spirit who comes and dwells within a, a, a believer's life brings the light and the truth of God with him. Um, when we look at the natural life, as we talked about earlier, that, that we have received life from Adam, which originally came from God, that life carried light. And every human being has an awareness, not just a knowledge, but an awareness of God. And people have been corrupted in their thinking and believe all sorts of things and worship all sorts of things. But inside a human being, as distinct from animals and other forms of life, there is this God awareness, this light that is being corrupted, but it's there part of, intrinsic in the life that we received from God at creation. Now he says, when you're walking in darkness, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, the life that you receive from me will bring light. I remember um, I was with a team. We, used, we did outreaches and we were living in New Zealand. We went down to the South Island to do an outreach down there with the, this team. And we're on the, the ferry that goes across from the North Island to the South. And as we got talking with one guy, uh, we found out that he was a Christian, but he'd only been a Christian a little while. He used to be Hare Krishna person. He used to go around chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. And he told us his testimony, he shared how during those years, like he was there a long time in, in that cult. And as he was there, he was seeking and searching and wanting to find, if you like, God, wanting to find the truth, wanting to experience the fulfillment that was offered and promised but he'd never received. He said, it's like I was chasing a rabbit and I'd just get to it and it'd run off again. I wasn't able to get there. But then he said, when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, he said, I stopped searching. I found it. 
I had the light. I, I had the truth. I, I rested in the knowledge that I had that Jesus Christ is Lord. Secondly, we see not only is he the light in this chapter, but then in the middle section we're looking at, he is the Lord. And here again, we're going to look at the idea, the concept that Jesus spoke about, about him being the son of the father. He speaks often of his being the son. Um, in verse 19, if you knew me, you would know my father also. There are actually, uh, one commentator says that there's 59 references to either Jesus being the son or the father or that kind of relationship between the son and the father in, the, in John's gospel. 59, 95, sorry, 95 references. In the other gospels combined, there's only 12 times that it's mentioned. This is a major th thought and major uh, emphasis through the whole gospel of John. So what does his sonship mean? It does not mean that he is the literal of offspring of the father, that there was the father and then somehow the father generated the son, and if you like, created him. The, the Je Jehovah's false witnesses teach that, but um, it's not what the Bible teaches at all. Uh, the idea of sonship in the Bible, and especially when it's related to Jesus Christ, has to do with the possessing the nature of the Father. And so Jesus possesses the very nature of the Father. Both are God in essence. In reality, they are God. And the Father and the Son have a relationship and the Spirit, and all are God and the Son uh, reveals the nature, the true nature. He who has seen me, Jesus said uh, later in John's Gospel, has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So it means he possesses the nature of God. Uh, the Son is not inferior to the Father. They are one. And uh, he claimed to be one with the Father. And then thirdly, he existed in eternity past. The Son did with the Father in perfect oneness. He is the eternal Son of God. He had no beginning and will have no end. He is God the Son. What a wonderful thing to believe and know and uh, to worship him um, by the Spirit. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In verse 23 here, he, Jesus said, I am from above. I am not of this world. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. But they were in darkness, the ones he was speaking to. He says in verse 19, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. In Hyde Park in London, they have in one section what they call Speaker's Corner. And people get up on soapboxes and they preach or talk and, and try to convince small crowds. And on one occasion, a, a preacher stood on the soapbox and, and he preached the gospel. And uh, there was a small crowd of people that gathered around and listened. And when he had finished, he got down off the box and uh, another guy got up and stood on the same box and he said, 
They say there is a God, but I don't see him. They say that there's a heaven, but I don't see it. They say there is a hell, but I can't see that. They say that Jesus is risen from the dead, but I can't see him. And he stood down. And there was applause by some. Another guy in the, in, in the crowd called out really loud. He didn't go up to the box. He just stood where he was and he said, I believe, he said, they say that there's a blue sky above us. I can't see it. They say that there's trees around about here in this park but I can't see them. They say there's flowers beside the pathway, but I can't see them. You see, I'm blind. And that blind man got a message across that people's blindness does not negate the truth. And in relation to spiritual blindness that the Bible talks about, that does not negate the truth of who Jesus is. The second thing we learn about the, that he is Lord is that what his sonship implies. It implies something very serious. Three times in this passage, in, as Jesus spoke with those people, he said that there are eternal consequences to your response to Jesus. Three times he says, if you don't believe, you will die in your sins. Well, that's serious. To die in your sins. The Bible says our sins have made a separation between us and God. The only thing that stands between us and a loving, loving Heavenly Father God is our sin. And if our sin is not dealt with, then our separation from God in this life will continue for eternity. Eternity of separation from the holy God. His love can't change the reality of a sinful heart. God is holy. He cannot live with sin. And so God in his grace has provided a way. But if we refuse to come that way and trust in Jesus, our Savior, then we will die in our sins. Our death will then make permanent our separation from God. It's so serious. Those who do not believe that I am he, he says, will die in their sins. Uh, we talk about the unforgivable sin. It's in a couple of the Gospels where Jesus said that if you sin by blaspheming the Holy Spirit, then uh, you will never be forgiven. And what is that? It's exactly the same thing. It's when the people of the day saw Jesus, they watched, they listened to his teaching, they watched his miracles, they saw, they saw everything that, that Jesus revealed himself to be, and they couldn't deny the miracles. So what they did was, they said, ah, oh, that's from Satan. The only way they could try and and, and get away with not believing in Jesus as the Son of God was to attribute his power and his, his miracles to Satan. And what Jesus was saying was, 
when you are that blind and that um, willfully uh, unwilling to believe, then there's no hope for you. There's no way you can be forgiven. You're totally set against the truth and you are lost for eternity. It's so serious. And these people, um, when Jesus said, where am I going? Where I am going, you cannot come. They said something really unusual. They said to each other, will, will, will he kill himself? Um, that seems weird. Why would they say that? Well, back then, the Jewish people believed that all Jews would be saved in one way or other, go to the afterlife somewhere. But they believed that if you were committed suicide, that you would be in the lowest part of Hades, far away from the righteous people who were right up the top there somewhere. And so the people at the top, the righteous people, would never have anything to do with or see the people who had committed suicide. So that's the only way of trying to understand what Jesus meant, that um, they would not see him when he goes away um, to a place where they cannot come. But Jesus replied and he showed that he is the true revelation of the Father and to die in your sin means to be separated from God eternally. Um, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord who died on the cross for our sins in order that those sins that stand between us and God, that separate us from God, can be totally washed away, forgiven and put away so that a person can enter into an eternal relationship with God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. You were dead, but now you've been made alive in Christ. The third thing we learn here about Jesus from this chapter was uh, that he is the liberator. He is the light of the world. He is the Lord and he is the liberator. He came to set us free. He says uh, that if you abide in my word or continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The word to abide or to continue gives the idea of persevering despite obstacles. So these people who said they believed, he said, if you continue in my word, if you listen to what I teach and take it on board and then more and more and follow through and persevere, even though you might have doubts, even though there may be others who, who, who laugh and scoff at you, whatever the opposition or the difficulty, the barriers that may be there, if you continue in my word, if you persevere, then you will be truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He says, you will know the truth and that truth, the truth of who Jesus is, that he begins to reveal more and more of, the truth of why he came uh, at the cross, um, many couldn't understand. But then at the resurrection, gradually, these, even the closest disciples of Jesus didn't understand a lot of things. But they persevered until they came to a complete and absolute certainty of who Jesus is is and was. What kind of freedom does he talk about when he says, if you continue in my word, 
You are truly my disciples, and the truth will set you free. Well, he says it's freedom from sin. You see, to the Jew, they responded, we are the offspring of Abraham and, and have never been enslaved to anyone. And as they said it, they could have looked up from the temple compound where they were and above them, up on the hill, uh, higher than them, was the Roman, um, uh, the Roman garrison, which overlooked the temple. <laughs> they were under the rule of, of Rome. Well, they talk about we haven't uh, been enslaved to anyone or we are free. They weren't. But Jesus was speaking spiritually, of course, and talking about slavery to sin. Uh, the Bible says, or Jesus says here, everyone who practices sin or continues to commit sin is a slave of sin. The evidence that we are slaves to sin is that we just cannot break free. And uh, we are, as it says in Romans 6.16, slaves of sin, which leads to death. So Jesus came as the liberator to set us free. Freedom, first of all, through the truth. You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Continuing in his word uh, would bring them to know the truth of their condition, that they are sinners needing salvation. Truth about Christ, who he was and is, and it would set them free. Free from the bondage of falsehood and sin. The religious, self-righteous people are still slaves. Uh, Paul was one of them. Remember when he was Saul? And he was, uh, he was right up there in terms of religious leaders in, in the nation. And he had such zeal against the name of Christ. But he was under conviction. The Bible says he was kicking against the goads. He was fighting the reality, the truth that he knew to be true. And part of his, his, if you like, journey to faith was we find in Romans chapter 7, where he says that of all the commandments that he tried to keep, the one that he found really got to him was the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Why? Because that deals with the heart. Is you can't, by law, stop your heart coveting. It's, it's an internal spiritual thing. And so he says, I do not do what I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I'm a slave to sin, he said, talking about his pre-conversion life. So freedom was to be set free from that. Jesus said in the, in the Gospels, um, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murder, adultery, theft, and so on. It, they come from the heart. And Jesus taught on the law, remember, uh, that you say you shall not um, uh, kill, but if you call someone a fool, you're guilty of breaking that law. Or if you have lust in your heart for a woman and you are a guy who has uh, tried to keep the law and you have never committed adultery, but because your heart 
is inclined and lusting after a woman, you've committed that sin. So we can't legislate for the heart. It is absolutely in slavery to sin. And Jesus came to set us free. True freedom is not freedom to do what we want, but freedom to live as God created us to live and to be. A train running on a track, that train is free. It was created to to run on that track. It wasn't created to go on a road or a path or in the water. It's not a boat. It's not a car. It's a train. So it was created to go on the tracks. Now, if it somehow broke free from the tracks and said, no, I, I don't want to be confined to those tracks. I want to just go across that paddock and, and go up that uh, incline and so on. <laughs> it would get stuck. It wouldn't work because it wasn't created to do that. It was created to live within the confines of the track. And so we were created to live within the confines of God's moral law and God's truth. But we have got off the track and it's messed us up. And Jesus came to put us back on the track. The truth will set you free. Not only the truth will set you free, but freedom, he says, through the Son. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. They claimed to be children of God. And and actually, they go on to say that God is our Father, but... As Jesus said in verse 34 and 35, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So it is if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Or if you like, this is the way you could translate it. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Even though these people were In the house of Abraham, they were not true members of that house. They were not sons. They just were slaves in the, like slaves or servants in the house. There was no permanence for them there. And sooner or later, they could be easily cast out. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Just because you are physically a descendant from Abraham doesn't make you a son of Abraham. You're in the house but you're not there as a son. But the son, the true son, has come to set you free. And he does that by offering us, first of all, a relationship with God, a relationship with the living God. A person is not a Jew, it says in Romans chapter 2, who is one outwardly. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. So it was a matter of inner life and reality. And a relationship with God is only available, not through the law, not through uh, the natural descendant, uh, being a natural descendant of Abraham, but by faith in Jesus. And he offers also a new life from God. That is, Christ alone can bring that freedom, a new life new birth, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus uh, had in mind. And, and that is what eventually happened after Pentecost 
and in the church and down through till today, anyone who puts their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus receives the Spirit of God, is born again, renewed and, and, and regenerated from within, and that new life and that Spirit indwelling enables us to live the way God wants us to live, sets us free from sin. A, a Christian can safely say, I need never sin. A Christian cannot say, I will know it, never sin. I will never sin. You can't say that. You will. We all fail and continue to fail. But we can say, I need never sin. By the Spirit's power and His guidance in my life and the knowledge of His Word, I need never sin. I can face any temptation and win the victory in Christ by His Spirit. I need never sin. Isn't that a wonderful freedom? We still have the sinful nature, but we're free. Free to live the way God wants us to live. As we trust in His Spirit, walk by the Spirit, Paul says. Live by the Spirit. Allow His Spirit to guide you in the decisions you make, in the small things and the big things, the way you react to someone who hurts you or says something nasty or whatever it might be, to be led by the Spirit, not led by the flesh. The Romans 8 says the law of the Spirit, or the power, if you like, uh, it could be translated that way, the power of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. That God has done what the law could never do because it's weakness, because it's weakened by the flesh, uh, in order to the, the, the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who live not by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And Paul's great chapter of chapter 8 of Romans of the Spirit's work in our lives comes after that chapter 7 where he talked about his struggle with sin before his conversion with Wanting to do something, but he couldn't. He found himself doing the evil. Just as I finish up, there was a woman I read about who was married to a very controlling, bossy man. And this man actually wrote out a list of things for her to do. I want my breakfast at this time and I want this and I want you to do that and make sure you do tidy this up and all these lists, uh, this list of, of all these demands and all these requirements and rules that he had for this woman uh, who was his wife. Not very nice. It was hard and it was wearisome for this woman. And guess what? He died. Well, she mourned the loss for a little while. Anyway, she met another guy sometime later and she fell in love. So she remarried and he loved her and she loved him and they had a beautiful relationship. Some years later, she just happened to be going through the drawer in the desk and she found the list that her previous husband had made. She went through all the list and she said, Wow, everything that he wrote for me to do as a kind of law to abide by, I'm doing now. I'm doing it out of love. 
We're not under the law. We're under grace and the Spirit of God. We love God. And by loving God, we keep his commandments. And by loving God, we follow him, our Father in heaven. At the end of the chapter, John writes that Jesus compares his eternal existence with the, as the I am with the historical beginning of Abraham. And he says, before Abraham became, I am. The word became there is important. It's the true translation of the Greek. That before Abraham came into being, he had a start. He had a beginning. But before he came into being, I am. What a wonderful claim that is. So there were two alternatives to the um, religious leaders and Pharisees of the day. They either had to worship him or they had to kill him. And we know what they did. And for us, in Galatians 5.1, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Let us pray. Oh, Father of God, we just thank you that Jesus is the liberator, the Lord, and the light. Oh, we thank you that he is worthy of our worship and praise. We thank you we can trust in him in this life and for eternity. Thank you for the salvation he gives freely as we trust in him. Go with us now as we Finish the service in a bit, and then as we live our lives, may we follow the Spirit, led by Him. And if we don't have the Spirit of God, we've never trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Lord, give us the grace to realize and admit our need and to turn in faith to Jesus alone as our Savior and Lord. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.